On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he was having dinner with his disciples, the famous story of the Last Supper. An argument broke out between the disciples about who was going to be considered the greatest in the kingdom. And the argument probably had to do with titles and influence and power. And in a sense, all of the disciples betrayed Jesus that night as they misunderstood the type of kingdom that he was establishing. But as the argument went on, Jesus responded. He responds with words that redefine greatness, redefine leadership. And the story picks up in Luke chapter 22, starting in verse 25. And here are the words how Jesus responds to this argument. He says, The kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest among you should be like the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who's at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. We started off this January 2021 with this series called a culture of goodness. And as we bring these churches together, my prayer for us for this year was that of all the things that we will be here that I'm excited about, we'd be a, a place of goodness, a culture of goodness. God is good. We know that we see that throughout Scripture. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew word is tov, which means good. That's used over 700 times. And God is good, and his people are called to be good. There's a goodness that flows out of us as we are in relationship with God. And a culture of goodness is compelling. A culture of goodness requires a number of things. And one of the things we mentioned was empathy and compassion. We want to be a community that has empathy and compassion towards each other, especially in uh, coming out of a year like 2020 where there's so much suffering and pain and confusion, hardship, that we'd be a people of empathy. And also that we'd be a people of otherness, that we would put others before ourselves, that we would live life selflessly, that we would think of others first. Today I want to close this series out and talk about the idea that a culture of goodness requires servant leadership. The type of, of leadership as Jesus defines it here in Luke 22 that he is here as one who serves, so we should be as well. There's two stories that really exemplify servant leadership in the Gospels, and just want to look at those two stories today and grab some observations uh, uh, from them and, and, and make some applications. But the first one uh, is, is right before this dinner happens, uh, there's an account of Jesus uh, serving his disciples, and, and, and the details of this story are only found in the Gospel of John, John chapter 13. And it says this in John chapter 13, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and to go to the Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. The evening meal was in progress and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. And Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. 
and that he had come from God and was returning to God. All things under his power. So he got up from a meal, took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. This is an incredible act of service. They're, they're at this meal together. Jesus is centered at the meal. He's the guest of honor. He's the most authoritative figure at the table. And then he goes and he does something that only a servant would do. He washes the disciples' feet. That's got to be hard in any time period, in any culture, to wash another's feet. But especially in this culture, I'm sure you've all heard the stories that they walk around in sandals. They walk everywhere. Their feet would have been disgusting and dirty. This would have been something that nobody would want to do. Jesus takes a towel, gets down on his hands and knees, washes their feet. There's an unbelievable amount of humility here. Peter who's probably one of the strongest leaders in this group, doesn't want Jesus to do that. In fact, he says, you, you can't do that to me. There's no way I should be doing this for you. And they have this conversation, and Jesus says, this is what it means to be a part of my kingdom, to have this servant leadership, a sense of humility. Verse 12 goes on to say, when they had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and he returned to his place. And he said, do you understand what I have done for you? You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Serving others is at the center of of this kingdom that Jesus is establishing, and those who are leading are required to serve. We should serve others because Jesus serves others. He does that, and he says, this is the example that I have set for you. Discipleship for us is becoming like Jesus, doing the things that Jesus does, which means we have to be the kind of people that are willing to serve. I've heard one pastor say to, to set aside the titles for the towel, this type of leadership is required, requires a lot of humility. As a, a church plant over the last six years, we had uh, the sacred task of setting up and tearing down in a cafeteria. We would have to stack chairs each week and put chairs away, put the tables out, and so lots of people would jump in and help. Uh, but I always remember specifically one man, his name's Paul, started coming to our church. He would sit up in the front row and uh, really, really fun guy. But after service every week, he would just jump in and start serving and start putting chairs away, and, and we got to know him a little bit. And after months of him just serving, we realized who he was. He was the CEO of this up-and-coming car company. He's really a big deal. But you would have never noticed that, just hanging out with him, that he's this great leader that runs this great company. Because he would just jump in and never expected anything. There was no sense of entitlement. You could tell that he's not the kind of person that was just used to other people serving him, even with his title, he would just serve others. Some of the most compelling leaders that I like to follow have servant leadership, part of their characteristic. They serve out of humility, not out of entitlement. Max Dupree wrote a great book on leadership called Leadership as an Art, and he says this about leadership. He says, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality 
to define reality. The last is to say thank you. But in between, the leader is a servant, serving others. What I've found is that when it comes to, to leadership is people will respect you because of accomplishments. They'll be impressed with the things that you've, you've done. But they'll, they'll follow you and they'll love you when you're humbly a servant, when you're vulnerable, when you walk alongside them, when you get your hands dirty. Leadership, uh, when you serve others, it gives you influence. The people in my life that I, I love to follow all have this sense of humility. They don't use their title to lord it over people. They use their title to, to make life better for others. Jesus shows us this example. When talking about the kingdom, he says there's one way of leadership that the world follows, the leadership lords over people. But this is something much different, the kingdom of God. To love with humility gives you credibility, influence. Verse 17 says, you'll be blessed if you do them. So we serve others not only because this is an example that Jesus shows us, that, that this is this compelling way of connecting with others, but we serve others because it's the true path. It's the path to true blessedness. The true blessedness. Now, blessedness and what that means to be blessed by God can mean a lot of different things, but, but it's, it's the fullness of this life that, that God offers us where we find true contentment, true fulfillment. That might look different for certain people. But when we serve others, we, we experience the goodness of life that God has to offer. When we serve others, it's this path to true blessedness. We be blessed when we do that. The second story of, of, uh, of service being exemplified takes place in Luke chapter 5. So we see Jesus serves. But in Luke chapter 5, Jesus has this request. He, he asks Simon Peter to serve. And there's this story when he first calls the disciples uh, that has some really interesting details. It starts in verse 1. It says, One day as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, or the Sea of Galilee, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. So he's teaching, and people are here, and they're listening. Verse 2 says, He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by fishermen who were washing their nets. And got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and he asked him to put out a little from shore. And then he sat down and he taught the people from the boat. And you think, well, that's a nice story. You know, the crowd's getting big and what happened is Jesus would be able to, to, to get out into the lake and, and the crowd would be at the shore and it would create this natural, uh, it, it would be like a, a natural projection of his voice so more people could hear him. It's a great place for him to teach. But what's interesting about this story, and if you know anything about first century fishing, which I didn't until I started to read about it. There was a, recently a man named Mendel Nunn who was a fisherman and, and went into the Middle East and uh, the Holy Lands and would fish and, and try to learn how these fishermen who started to follow Jesus would fish, became an expert on the way that they fish. These fishermen were, were probably fishing for tilapia, which is St. Peter's fish. And the type of, the, the way that they were catching this fish is with uh, trammel nets, these trammel fishing nets that, that you would throw out into the lake, and then the fish would get caught up in the nets, and you'd pull the nets up. Well, the thing about these nets is they only worked at nighttime. The fish could see them in the day, so most of the fishing would take place at night. So if you were a fisherman, you had the night shift. You had these trammel nets, you'd go out to the lake, you'd throw the nets out, and you'd fish all night. And it was a good, it was a good life 
If you like fishing, you like being out on a boat, you like being out on a lake, it was hard work. But you'd get in in the morning after the night of fishing and you would park your boat, you would probably take your catch and go to the tax collectors and, and start to sell off the fish. And then you would start cleaning up your nets and go through the process of, you know, getting, getting everything prepared for the next night. Then you'd probably grab a snack, breakfast, and then go take a nap after a long night's work. And here in this story, what we find is that Jesus is teaching and he sees two boats on the side of the shore and the fishermen are washing their nets, which means what? They've probably been out all night fishing. Their workday's done. They're probably exhausted. And we'll find that it was a disappointing fishing night. So Peter's probably grumpy. And he says, Peter, I was wondering if you could get back in the boat and help me out here. Peter, this blue-collar, hard-working, manly man, has this rabbi say, I'm going to need your help because I'm teaching right now. I can't imagine what Peter respo- his response is. You, you know, we know that Peter's a little snide. He could be a little rough around the edges. My guess is that he does it, and he's probably got a bit of an attitude. I'm reading into that. But he's, Jesus asked him to help him out, and what we know is that Peter probably after a hard night's work, ready to go get some brunch and a nap, is willing to help Jesus here. Sets aside his own agenda in response to Jesus. Says in verse 4, when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep water and let the nets down for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and we haven't caught anything. But because you say so, We'll do it. Trying to imagine what's going on in Peter's mind right here. He's probably already a little bit frustrated, exhausted, tired. He's had a night of catching no fish. And then this rabbi, who's an expert in the law and has a background in carpentry, is telling him, why don't you throw the nets out and let's fish some more? And Peter knows, you can't catch fish in the middle of the day, not with these nets. We haven't caught fish all night. But he decides to do it. Verse 6. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. And so they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and they filled both boats so full that they began to sink. Imagine Peter's surprise here. This isn't supposed to be the time when you catch fish. And yet as he's been obedient to Jesus, as he's helped Jesus, what we find is that Jesus actually honors Peter here. There's a miracle that takes place. He surprises Peter. And you have this miraculous catch of fish. Now, some of the you know, business people might be thinking, well, I wonder how much that's worth, right? Like Peter does this, does this thing and Jesus compensates him for it. And you know, there's, who knows? I mean, both boats are so full that they're sinking. It would have been probably months worth of, of a catch. There's this blessedness that comes where Jesus honors Peter. But what we find is that even with what is provided for Peter, there's something else so much more significant that comes as he's, as he's serving Jesus. Verse 8 says, When Simon Peter saw this, he, he fell at Jesus' knees and he said, Go away from me, Lord. I am a sinful man. Now what I think is that tips us off to what Peter's attitude's been all morning. He goes and he does this thing for Jesus. My guess is he's probably grumpy about it. 
not knowing, you know, how inconvenient this is for him, how that he has to rearrange his schedule. He's probably going to be tired the next night because of it. And here he is just completely wrecked that God would do this, that Jesus would do this for him. And he has this confession. Get away from me, for I am a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. So were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. They're all blown away. And his response isn't, oh, sweet, like this is taking care of months of work for me. His response is confession. I found that as we serve others, as we serve Jesus, it has this way of grounding us in reality. It has a way of putting us in touch with our own issues as we, as we serve. There's something that gets worked out where we stop living a life of feeling entitled. It humbles us, but it allows us to live in reality. Serving can expose our own brokenness and pain, but in a way that allows God to work in us. Oh yes, God is up to something. And then here's what happens next in verse 10. It says, then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up to the shore and they left everything and they followed him. So even so, they've been compensated for their time. Something happens in this relationship they have with Jesus where they leave all of that. They have this new identity, this new calling where Jesus says, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of men. And the thing that they experience, the blessing of, of helping Jesus out, there's this new life where they're on board and they say, this is where true blessedness is found. They follow Jesus. They leave the catch behind. They have this new calling. So we serve others because that's what Jesus does. He shows us his, his example. But also when we serve others, there's, there's a blessedness, a fulfillment of life where we flourish, where, where Jesus' mission is expanded through us, his people, the body of Christ. And that type of life, as we see with Peter, is worth leaving everything else behind for. I want to close with this story that Charles Spurgeon tells, this great pastor in the 1800s in England. But he tells the story of this old village in the 1800s somewhere in Europe. It's kind of a small town. This village is uh, the envy of all who live outside of it. It's a, it's a village that has a great economy that's uh, based off of their, their great crops, their great livestock, and everyone that are in this town are very religious people. They would say, God is good, takes care of us, and because of our faithfulness, we flourish. Well, they end up getting into this terrible storm season one year, monsoon-type storms that end up flooding all their crops, killing off the livestock after that. Pestilence kicks in, disease, and the whole town that used to be the envy of all others hits this brokenness. The whole place breaks, the economy breaks, they slip into poverty. This place that was so reliant on God and so faithful to God when things are going well, all of a sudden start to struggle with, where is God in the midst of all this? This has been a terrible year. What is God up to? Where is he? When you start to go through things like that, Doubt starts to creep in. Well, like all towns, there's those who are doubters, but specifically there was one who was an atheist. 
And this was his time to shine. And the atheist was said, where is your God now? How could God allow this to happen to all of us, that we can move from flourishing to poverty? And the atheist decided to, to paint his credo on the, the wall of one of the buildings in the town. And that credo simply said that God is nowhere. How do you like that? Really fun person to have when you're going through something terrible. Well, there was a wise old monk that was traveling and would visit the town from time to time, and he shows up knowing that this town is going through a completely difficult season, just terrible season. The monk shows up, and he's so used to this town being so joyful and alive and abundant, good religious people, and he's shocked at the despair that he witnesses. And as he walks around the town and he sees uh, all of the, the suffering, he decides to start helping out in any way that he can. So he has clothes that he brings for those who are naked or, or without clothing. He has medicine for those who are sick. He has food for the hungry. He just starts to love on people. And then he runs into this wall that the atheist had painted, the credo that says God is nowhere. And he knows what he has to do. In the middle of the night when no one was looking, he gets out his own paintbrush and he paints this line through the word, God is nowhere. So that the next morning when the townspeople wake up, the, the sign now reads that God is now here. And the monk goes along, serving the town, bringing life as he can do it. Something happens with the people in that town. They're reminded that their God is good. And they join this monk and they start working towards uh, working towards revitalizing everything that had been ruined. Before you know it, the town recovers. People's faith is strengthened. And they realize God has used the monk and called them to help repair the things that were broken. Spurgeon talks about this story. This is the role of the body of Christ. We live in this broken world. We live in a world of, of powerful authorities. We live in a world where uh, it's like a storm could come through and ruin it. We probably saw that last year with 2020 with just everything that has happened. But we're reminded that God's plan was always through his people, always through Jesus and what Jesus has done on the cross, and now through this group of disciples for the body of Christ. Start to put back the things that have been broken, repair. And he calls us as his church to do that. When we serve others, when we serve Jesus, when we serve in this church community, when we serve in our neighborhood, we declare God is now here. We love others the way that Jesus loved us. The things that we want to be as a church as we bring these churches together is we want to be a place where we our servant leaders. We don't live lives entitled. We live lives where we get involved with the community. We love others. We put others first. We act out of empathy and compassion because our God is good. As we close out this series, uh, a couple things to consider, especially when it comes to serving others. Maybe this is a time for you, like Peter, to get back in the boat. Maybe this is a time where you're tired and exhausted and maybe a little bit bitter for the things that Jesus has required. And yet, you need to get back in the boat 
and serve. As we're building something new here, we're going to need all hands on deck. Maybe you've been living and just trying to survive and preserve your life and need to get back to a place where you're allowing others to be first. Maybe with all the disappointments that have happened this year, your heart's been hardened and you aren't able to have compassion or empathy to feel what others are feeling. If we're going to be a culture to goodness, we need to allow God to make our hearts good again. Maybe today you just need to get right with God. The band's going to come back up and we're going to spend some time in prayer. I'm not sure where you're at in the journey, where you're feeling, what you're feeling, where you're at with, with God. But God is doing something in the midst of all this. And as a church, we declare that God is now here in the midst of an extremely challenging year, 18 months. We bring hope because God has given us hope. Let's spend some time uh, in prayer and then uh, the band will close us out. Lord, we thank you so much for this day and these stories. Reminded of these old words that you spoke to your followers, your disciples, about where true greatness is found. That there's the way of the world that tries to get influence, Lord, and then you've told us not to be like that. But you have come as one who serves. Lord, we want to be good followers of you. Lord, we want to reflect who you are to others. So we ask that you would just work in our hearts today, Lord. In a season where so many of us are just trying to get by, we ask that you would activate us again for mission. That you would empower your church. You give us renewed energy, calling, identity, so that this next season, Lord, your gospel will be proclaimed, your kingdom will be expanded. So Lord, we give you our hearts today and ask that you continue to do a good work. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.